Thank you so much. for welcoming me. I don't feel at all like a guest. I feel like family. You guys are just such a strong family, strong love, warm welcome. So thank you for welcoming my wife and I, April, to be a part of what's going on here at First Baptist Church and the Logos service. So Bible's open to Galatians chapter 3 as we continue through the study of Galatians. Some things will sound a lot like we've been hearing in the previous weeks because Paul's been kind of on a roll and he's on a roll of repetition to make sure that we get what he's trying for us to get. So he keep saying again and again. We learned last week that it's, it's not by the law or keeping a list of the law that we find our freedom. We find our way to be made right with God. So it's not by keeping a list. And we learned in this room that there are some list people, some people like your A list, list people. You keep lists really, really well. And on behalf of myself that's more like list intolerant. I want to say thank you, list people. Thank you to my wife who is a list person. It means that we eat on a regular basis, um, and that's good. So list people, thank you. But we don't get made right with God by keeping the list. And for those of us that are a little, you know, we, we, we enjoy our freedoms, and we don't keep lists as much. We feel a little more emancipated. Uh, we don't be made right with God just because we don't keep lists. So it must have something to do with grace, to have this grace in common. That's what, that's what we will speak today. We stand with me. We speak this scripture together, a scripture of grace from Galatians 3.21. So we stand in honor of God's word. We stand in solidarity of the promise that we speak together. Is there a conflict then between God's law and God's promises? Absolutely not. If the law could give us new life, we could be made right with God by obeying it. But the scriptures declare that we are all prisoners of sin. So we will receive God's promise of freedom only by believing in Jesus Christ. It's the word of the Lord. You may be seated. I love it that we have this moment of speaking God's word out loud, outstanding together. I remember a couple decades ago when I was at UTSA, I was in a, a citywide gathering of college students and we're reading the scriptures together. And we stood together to read the scripture and then we sat down and the pastor, you know, began to, to continue on in the sermon. But there was this one guy, there's always one guy. He felt that whenever the pastor quoted another scripture, that he should stand up again. And so when the pastor would quote another scripture, he would stand up to his feet quickly and then he would look around the room and like motion like he was at a football game. Like, you gotta get up, guys. It's God's word. So he had a list. He thought there was a list of things you had to do in church. If we were gonna read God's scripture and you were gonna do it right, you better get right up on your feet right now. 
they began to begin like there's something kind of audacious about this guy, a little arrogant. I'm like, why are you looking around the room judging the rest of us because we chose to stay seated for the rest of the sermon? This guy made me think maybe a lot what Saul used to be like. I was reading the book of Galatians written by Paul. Paul used to go by the name Saul until God kind of got up in his business and changed a lot of things, changed his old ways into his, God's new ways, and God gave him a new name. But when Paul was like an arrogant, A-list, list keeper of all the religious rules, he'd be like looking around going, why aren't you doing it this way? This, this way where we follow all of the list. And so the trouble with following the list and thinking that we're going to be made right with God by following the list, the problem with that is that just imagine you kept the list really, really well one day. Like you didn't sin at all and you did all the things you should. You, you opened God's word. You prayed without ceasing. You were good to your family. You were humble and gentle. Uh, you did the dishes. You flossed your teeth. You did everything right for like a day. And then you're like, man, I'm on a roll. You did that whole thing for a whole week. You continue to just be really, really good for seven days in a row. By the end of those seven days, you might become what people call arrogant you might pull a muscle patting yourself on the back. Like, look how well I've done keeping the list. And the problem with arrogance is that it tends to get a little bit louder now. Your arrogance just begins to proclaim itself before you even enter the room. Your arrogance is bigger than any air in the room because your arrogance is always loud. And this is what Paul is writing into right now. When we look in the book of Galatians, he's trying to give like a remedy to the noise of the arrogance. The ridiculous religious rulers are giving list on list on list. And Paul's going, no, we got to stop that noise. Like what's that, what's that called? There's like, there's like some headphones you can put on that like block noise. What's that called? Yeah, I was playing dumb to get you to play along. Um, Noise-canceling headphones is what the book of Galatians now is right here as we look in chapter 3. This is going to cancel the noise of the arrogant, religious, ridiculous leaders that make lists on lists on lists and say you got to keep the list of the law in order to get right with God. And Paul said, no, stop that noise. Hear the promise of God. And so we look in Galatians 3, verse 15. He says, dear brothers and sisters... I'm going to stop right there. I know I just got started. But this is so fascinating because there's a tender fierceness to Paul now. Because if you remember reading so far through the book of Galatians, it's been a little angry. It's been a little heated. He's loving them with a tender fierceness. Because remember, Paul said things like, I opposed Peter to his face. Or last week we looked at, he says, oh, foolish Galatians, how foolish can you be? Like Paul's coming in hot, he's coming in heated. This would be, if this was text, it'd be all caps. Uh, if this was Harry Potter word, world, I'm about to find out who the nerds are in the room. Uh, if this was Harry Potter, if Paul was delivering the book of Galatians in a red envelope, it would be called a what? A howler. Okay, four of us got that, but we're bonded now. This, a howler is this hot red letter. And that's what Galatians has been. But now we see a tenderness when he says, dear brothers and sisters. Because he loves them, he's going to love them with a tender fierceness. A tough love, but also tender. So he says, just as no one can set aside or amend an irrevocable agreement, so it is in this case. So here's an example from everyday life. 
If you guys aren't paying attention to God's word, just look at, from everyday life, you know that there's like, you can't amend that, you can't add to that because it's an irrevocable agreement. So we learned last week and the weeks before, you can't add to Jesus. Jesus plus equals nothing. If you add to Jesus, you ruin what he's done so perfectly. In the same way, what is something your mama cooks to perfection? What's making you salivate right now? What does your mama cook to perfection? Meatloaf? Yeah? All right. So let's say mama makes her perfect meatloaf, and you're like, hey, hey, um, could you pass the wasabi? I want to add wasabi. That's what you put on the sushi, the spicy stuff. Like, I'm going to add wasabi to mama's meatloaf. Or my wife makes cook, chocolate chip cookie, cookies to perfection. You might think your mama makes a perfect chocolate chip cookie. You're wrong. My wife's are better. I'll arm wrestle you later. Um, but if my wife makes the perfect chocolate chip cookies or your mama makes a perfect meatloaf, um, you don't add anything to it. I don't say to my wife's chocolate chip cookies, can you pass the ketchup? I want to dip the cookie in the ketchup, right? No, it ruins what was perfect and it insults the baker. It insults the one who created it. Same way here, Paul's going, hey, don't amend this thing. Don't add to this. Don't go Jesus plus. So you can't add because you just ruin it and you offend the maker. And then it's like an irrevocable agreement. This is like word is bond. Don't touch this. It's like when you get your last will and testament set up. You met with a lawyer. You didn't scribble this in pencil on a napkin. No, like we made this fine line, make sure it's very detailed, notarized, it's irrevocable. That's what Paul is saying here to make sure that we get this. He goes on in Galatians 3, 16. And God gave the promises to Abraham and his child. And notice the scriptures doesn't say to his children as if it meant many descendants. Rather, it says to his child. And that, of course, means Christ. So children in the room, there are two very, very powerful words that you say. And when you say these two words, you can usually get your way in the house. And all the moms and dads of young children are leaning in going, what's he going to say? Children, when you say the words, you promised, right? Those words have power because parents have to think, wait, wait, did I say that? Did I promise? And if we promised it, we want to keep our promise. We want to be, you know, known as people of our word. So when we say promise, we pay attention. Paul repeats the word promise like 10 times in the book of Galatians. It's like what is repeated is important. Paul wants to make sure that we get this. So the Greek word for promise, because Paul was writing in Greek, the Greek word is epangalia. Epangalia carries this weight of like, this is a divine assurance. This is not just, this is not just a shallow maybe. You know, kids, if your parents say maybe, that doesn't mean yes. You usually take it to mean yes. But it's definitely not a promise. It's just Maybe. But a pangalia, a promise, a divine assurance from God means it listen up. That's why Paul repeats it 10 times. And then he goes on to talk about Father Abraham and his child. I think, wait, Father Abraham's child? Okay, and we just saying, well, that I'm a child of God. And if you think back to being a child in church, like, well, I used to sing about Father Abraham had many sons, and I'm one of them. And then there was like lots of motions to that song, which I liked because I tended to wiggle a lot as a kid and I wanted to stand up. In this case, though, it says there's a child, not children. And the child, of course, is Christ. And so I'm not necessarily of Jewish descent, but I'm with Jesus. 
so that I get, to, I, to, I get to be counted along with these promises of God. We can learn more about the promises. We continue in Galatians 3.17. So this is what I'm trying to say. The agreement God made with Abraham could not be canceled 430 years later when God gave the law to Moses. God would be breaking his promise. Verse 18, for if the inheritance could be received by keeping the law, then it would not be the result of accepting God's promise, but God graciously gave it to Abraham as a promise. You see this repetition here. It's like Paul wants us to get this. So is there a conflict between God's law and God's promise? He goes on in verse 321. He says, is there a conflict between God's law and God's promise? Absolutely not. Says it emphatically. There's an exclamation point here. Because if the law could give us new life, we could be made right with God by obeying it. Saul is a baller right here in this. And I'm thinking about when he says, absolutely not. It's, it's so emphatic. It has like a word picture in my head. I'm thinking like, who are some of the greatest shot blockers in all time NBA history? Let me know, basketball fans, who are the greatest shot blockers? Thank you. You got to represent the Admiral first off in this city. Uh, he lead, he's like a number five on the list. He it definitely, he had um, like 4.5 blocks in, a, in one of his seasons. So yeah, yeah. Other, other great shot blockers? Matumbo is definitely known because he got the finger to go with it, right? Picture, that's what Paul is doing right here. Paul is blocking the shot. He goes, absolutely not. Get that out of here. Don't, be, don't bring that trash to my house. Because right, Paul started this church in Galatia, this, this region of Asia Minor, ancient Asia Minor. He's bringing the, the gospel here. He's planting the churches, and people with religious lists are trying to like weasel in and go, nah, let's add this, because you need to keep these rules too. Paul is angry here. So he's blocking the shot. Get that out of here. Matumbo, no, no, no. David Robinson, the admiral, blocking that. Don't bring that into my house. So he's loving and protecting his family here. It's a tender fierceness. So he says, absolutely not. Then go to Galatians 3.22. But the scriptures declare, this is what's so important, not just what you think or what your mama told you because it's a good idea or your friends say. You know, there, there's an authority greater than all those things. But the scriptures declare that we are all prisoners of sin. So we receive God's promise of freedom only by believing in Jesus Christ. And so what do the scriptures declare about promises? At least three things I'm finding here. I said three things and the list of people got excited. Ooh, a list. Three things about God's promise. It's irrevocable. It's irrevocable. That means it's eternal. It's permanent. Number two, it's unconditional. And for it to be unconditional, it's got to have some some divine assurance and it's undeserved because the promise is undeserved it's got to be about grace God's grace amazing grace so break these three things down a little bit and apply them into our lives since it's irrevocable word is bond eternal permanent when we're when we're little kids promises are so important and so as, as kids we make a promise and we're like interlock pinkies even right making a pinky promise. And from what I understood, the pinky promise basically means if you break the promise, you can break the other person's pinky, right? From kids, we're like, promises are important. And you grow up. 
We still use the hands when we make promises. When you make wedding vows and promises before God and all your friends and family, put a ring on your, your, your bride's finger and say, as this ring encircles your finger, so my love surrounds your life. There's a, a reminder of that promise, that vow. God's making a promise to us, and he's solidifying it with more than pinky promise, more than wedding rings. When God gives his son, and his son gives his life on the cross, his hands, his hands take nails for us as a way that we would know this is God's irrevocable promise. Christ loves you, dies for you. And even after he rises from the grave, he sees Thomas. Thomas is a skeptic. I'm glad Thomas is in the Bible because I've got questions too. I need them answered. And Thomas goes, I won't believe this is Christ raised until I see the wounds in his hand. And so the irrevocable promise from God is shown right there in the nail-pierced hands of Jesus Christ. And Thomas saw and he believed. Well, we also believe this incredible promise of our Lord. Number two, God's promises, this promise of freedom, this promise that we be made right with him, it is unconditional. To look at it, that it's, it's unconditional, it means it's not just like the game Simon Says. Growing up with Simon Says, I was terrible because I'm not a great listener. So if you don't listen to instructions, you get the thing wrong, you gotta sit down, you're out of the game. If God's promise is like Simon Says, or like a contract where you don't agree with a term, or someone doesn't keep their end of the bargain, you just break the contract and you're done. So God's never failed on his end of the promise, but we all like sheep have gone astray. Each and every one of us have sinned. We have not kept our end. God made this promise with Abraham. Was Abraham perfect? Now he had some flaws, y'all. And his flaws are recorded in the scripture for us to see. And he's not the only one because we go down the, the, the lineage. You see, King David, a man after God's own heart. He would write songs and say, I meditate on your law. But the law is not what saves him. Because David would be an adulterer and a murderer. But by God's grace, he was not disqualified from the promise. Go through the list. Think of you know, Noah. Gets drunk after the flood situation. Did this disqualify him from receiving the promise of God? No. Think about Jonah. Jonah was like a runaway and a racist and a whole bunch of stuff God was calling him to do, but he wouldn't do it. He wouldn't obey God. He's a disobedient, runaway racist. Does this disqualify him from having the promise of God to be made right in his life? No. Paul. Paul used to be Saul. Paul used to be a persecutor of the people of the way. The people that followed Jesus who was the way, the truth, the life. Paul that was persecuting the Christians. Is he disqualified from this promise? What about you? Me. And what have we done? And why is God still pursuing us? It brings us to point number three in God's promises. It's undeserved. This is from grace. God's amazing grace. Grace is this unmerited favor. We don't deserve it, but God in his beauty and his love for us, pursuing us, gives it to us anyway. Like the law had no grace. If the law could have made the way for us to be right with God, then we would just, 
We could have options. We think about Christ, though, in the Garden of Gethsemane. After we just shared the Lord's Supper meal, the first, the inaugural Lord's Supper meal, he goes into the garden and he's, he's, he's praying, pleading, sweating drops of blood. Father, is there any other way? Is there any other way that, that the people can be made right with you that does not involve Christ going to the cross? Christ is asking that question, pleading that question before heaven, and heaven gives no other answer. So it's undeserved because we need grace because there is no other way. Have you received God's grace? Do you know that you need it? Paul goes on, Galatians 3, 26. For you are all children of God through faith in Christ Jesus. And all who have been united with Christ in baptism have put on Christ like putting on new clothes. Verse 28, there's no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. And now that you belong to Christ, you are the true children of Abraham. You are his heirs, and God's promise to Abraham belongs to you. Amen? Amen. God's promise to Abraham. There's a reason we're reading it now, thousands of years later. Because this is personally applicable to our families. We're part of the irrevocable, unconditional, undeserved promise of God. And we celebrate that. But in real life situation, you might look around a little bit and go, man, the world's still quite a mess. If God made this promise, and he's, he's strong and he's keeping his promise, and you look around and go, why is the world such a mess? Or somebody say that a promise, promises are just like lies that procrastinate. Huh. Because in the Paul, the world that Paul was writing into was like people adding to Jesus. In the world we live, and some people do that still, but I think we more even see just a just a minus Jesus. Like, well, if he answered the hadn't answered the promises yet, then how long are we gonna wait? And if people find themselves waiting and they find themselves giving up or finding themselves wondering what's keeping God so long, I think we can look to Peter a little bit. We'll close with some verses from Peter the Apostle. Peter, the same one that Paul opposed to his face. Peter, the one that had like a foot-shaped mouth because he was always had to put his foot in his mouth for things that he had said. Peter, the same one that denied Christ three times before he was crucified. But because he knew the irrevocable, unconditional, eternal promises from a heavenly father, Peter would go on to write this. In 2 Peter chapter 3 and verse 3. Most importantly, I want to remind you that in the last days, scoffers will come, mocking the truth and following their own desires. Verse 4. And they will say, what happened to the promise that Jesus is coming again? From before the times of our ancestors, everything has remained the same since the world was first created. Like the people taunt. Where's your God when the bad stuff happens? Didn't your God promise? Is that an empty promise? We st in these last days, we'll have scoffers. We'll have those that taunt. And here's the answer to the question. Peter knows it. We share it together now. Second Peter Chapter 3, verse 9. 
the Lord isn't really being slow about his promise, as some people think. No. He's being patient for your sake. He does not want anyone to be destroyed, but wants everyone to repent. And so we celebrate God's irrevocable, unconditional, undeserved promise today. And when we share this meal, this Lord's Supper meal of communion, we do this by repentance. We celebrate the promise that will be made abundantly clear one day when we share a feast with him in his kingdom, in his heaven. And until then, we we take moments like this to remember, to remember and to repent and to look forward to one day that we'll celebrate. So will you pray with me together, please? Father in heaven, thank you that your promises are sure. When so many things seem so shaky, so temporary, you give us your son, Jesus. Thank you for Jesus' promise. Thank you for this meal that reminds of us of Jesus' love for us. And through Christ we pray, amen. Our First Baptist Family's mission statement is to follow the Lord Jesus Christ and to lead all others in a joyful life with Him. And to fit very closely with that is our theme for this season, Go and Tell. We hope everything that we provide, all the resources, encourage you, equip you to do just that. Go and tell.